0: So we now go on to chapter 2, which is called Understanding Dharma. The first part is called the Here and Now Dharma. We practice Dharma because we see the value of noble treasure, the wealth that is within. We have attachment to material wealth, but now we try to exchange it for inner wealth. This kind of wealth will be free from the dangers of the elements, such as flood and fire, as well as that of thieves. It's something that they cannot find. No external threats can touch this happiness of mind. This is what the Buddha meant when he spoke about merit. Making offerings is one source of such happiness because we are overcoming the tendencies towards greed and miserliness. So the word merit, um, in in ordinary English usage, is not a very common word. Uh, It's a translation of the Pali uh, punya, uh, and also can mean uh, uh, blessings. Um, In Thai Thai language, boon is a very, very common concept. Tambun going to the monastery to make offerings to um, uh, uh, accumulate merit, or to create merit, Mm -hmm. to... um, bring wholesome qualities into being the um, the, uh, the reference that the Lumpucha is making here, the Buddha uh, said, this is what the Buddha meant when he spoke about merit. making offerings is one su- one source of such happiness. so there's uh, a particular passage in the wuttaka where the Buddha says uh, don't uh, don't look down on merit, don't belittle merit. merit is another word for happiness. And it's uh, the the unspoken sort of preamble to that. Uh, just the, the way he phrases things is that it sounds as though there's some kind of discussion going on in the monastery that uh, you know, really the purpose of, of our practice is is liberation, and we shouldn't worry about creating good karma. This is just sort of kindergarten dhamma. This is not uh, uh, this is not, not really for grown-ups. Don't worry about uh, making merit or uh, acting in in meritorious ways or doing things to create those kind of blessings. That's a sort of unspoken preamble as as I read it. And then the the Buddha comes in with saying, no, <laughs> don't don't look down on Mary. Don't belittle Mary. Don't look at don't look at it like that. It's a it's another word for happiness. And so one way of, of looking at Punya, uh, even though it can be kind of trivialized or uh, it can be a source of uh, what they call spiritual materialism, like a kind of uh, celestial bank account that you're going to the monastery to sort of rack up your merit, uh, your merit savings, and you go and accumulate more. That's um, so a very sort of materialistic and, and un, uh, unwise uh, uh, approach to that, and that um, it's more the, the brightness of the heart that is the natural result of acting in ways that are wholesome, that are noble, that are honest, that are kind and, and unselfish. And so that it's a uh, it's not, uh, even though it gets spoken of like making making merit tambun, you know, to, to make merit or to accumulate merit, that kind of language is, is used. But it, I would say that's a, um, a, a slight misreading of it. And that uh, it's really the the natural effect when we act in wholesome ways, then the uh, the brightness of the heart is is uncovered, like the sun. When the <laughs> hasn't there's been a lot of grey days recently, but when the sun comes out, <laughs> when the clouds clear and uh, it's not a, a grey rainy day, uh, and then the sun comes out. Then you know the sun has been shining all the time, but it was obscured by the uh, the the clouds of the the January weather. Um, so that uh, in a similar way, punya is the sort of clearing of the clouds of the heart so that the heart's natural radiance can, can operate, can be felt, can be known, that warmth and brightness can be felt and known. And so that it's... Um, think talking of it as, a, as making it or accumulating it is, is slightly wide of the mark, I would say. It's also um, one of the... Uh, one of the ways that people, um, if you have been in the monastery and uh, you're feeling the urge to leave the monastery and, uh, and uh, go and live uh, uh, you know, elsewhere, and step outside of the field of dhamma activity, whether you're a layperson living in the monastery or a monastic, and say, oh, you know, I want to move on, I want to go back to, to a relationship, I want to go and, and make some money or go traveling and whatever, then a, a frequent way that will be talked about is to say that your, your merit has run out, mot boon. Yeah. So that, uh, and, and again, it's a long, long time ago. But um, my vague memories uh, of uh, when people would go to Lumphoor Cha and uh, say that they were they wanted to disrobe, they wanted to leave, they wanted to move on. They'd say, "Oh, yeah Lumphor, You know, I want to, I want to disrobe. My my merit has run out." And he would be very um, blunt. He would we'll just make some more. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like there's a limited supply you know just, <laughs> but uh, it's not uh, any, the, that's not a very good excuse in other words uh it's also interesting um in t- just uh, as a, uh, on the theme of merit um even though in, in thailand and in asian cultures uh, generally i believe there's a sense of making material offerings uh, was called amisa puja. Making material offerings is sort of how merit is created. There's a very interesting sutta called the Velama Sutta, where the Buddha talks about uh, a number of his um previous uh, he talks about his a uh, previous lifetime he said in that lifetime he was an extremely wealthy Brahmin from a, a city called Velama, and he made this enormous offering. He doesn't say who the offering was made to, but it was like uh, ten thousand silver pots filled with gold, ten thousand gold pots filled filled with silver. Ten thousand horses, ten thousand elephants, you know, and uh, this kind of massively valuable offering, material offering, and then he says, "But um, the the, the punya, the merit that, that uh, arose from making that enormous material offering, that wasn't as great as uh, the merit gained from uh, from keeping the five precepts." And then there's a whole sequence of, of things. So he says, and then even more meritorious than that. Is to um, uh, is to practice loving kindness for the time that it takes to milk a cow, so that which is about twenty minutes. <laughs> for those of you who've never milked any cows, yeah. um, so and then and it's a long sequence. I think about twelve or fourteen different things that he enumerates. Um, but and the very last one, he says, uh, even more meritorious than than keeping the precepts, practicing concentration, developing loving kindness, and so on and so forth. He says maintaining in being. The the insight into anicca for a finger snap that's even more meritorious than uh, all those other things. So that giving a, uh, making a material offering worth billions and billions of pounds or euros or dollars or whatever that's uh, that's minor compared to the merit that arises from a genuine insight into anicca, into uncertainty. So um, that uh, and that's the kind of um, when Lumpur Chah would say, well, make some more merit, <laughs> that would be rather than, than thinking in terms of material offerings, it would be in, in terms of developing um, mental qualities, such as loving kindness or concentration, keeping the precepts, but in, but in particular, the development of wisdom. So I find that's a particularly significant teaching. It's not just the idea of Anicca as a concept, like, oh, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> I can just think Anicca, 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 and that kind of, that to spend all those billions of pounds, but the... It's not the, just the word Anicca. It's the genuine recognition, the the, the seeing of uh, all that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. So then he says, uh, making offerings is one source of such happiness because we're overcoming the tendencies towards greed and miserliness. So also not, not to again not to belittle punya and not to belittle generosity and the giving of material uh, material gifts. That that basic uh, attitude of sharing what you have is a is a very direct and practical and skillful way of cultivating unselfishness. I think the other day I was telling the story about how um, when one of the western monks was going through a poor village and that uh, he was given a bottle of Pepsi and then he, he gave it to one of the village children and, and then she immediately started looking to share it with her friends and uh, uh, and so that that I would say is right there. You have got that sort of uh, very skillful gesture of if you've got something valuable, share it. The, that 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 um, is a very very skillful way of breaking down self-view, so self, uh, tendencies towards self-benefit, self-advantage, and um, that uh, dana paramita is number is the first one on the list. That uh, basic generosity, sharing what you have, giving material help and support to others is a very direct and potent way of of cutting through self-view and self-cherishing. Whatever Dharma practice we're doing, whether it's giving, keeping moral precepts, or meditating on loving-kindness towards all beings, the Lord Buddha has taught that they should all come to a single point, the pursuit of peace. So, Pachupana Dhamma, the here and now truth is something extremely important. We practice various activities we call Dharma, such as making offerings to support the Buddhist religion, but we should know just, the, just what this is. Merely seeking merits may not bring us to the Buddha sasana, the dispensation of the Buddha. We need to distinguish between merit, punya, and skillfulness, what is kusala. Merit on its own is lacking in wisdom. And without wisdom, we'll never be free of suffering. So, merit without skillfulness is like carrying something and not being able to put it down. It ultimately gets heavy enough to crush us. Skillfulness knows when to let go. Together, they support the Buddha-sasana. We listen to Dharma to increase our skillfulness and happiness, then to reflect on these things to create benefit for ourselves and others. So I think this is a very a very helpful point uh, that uh, punya, that kind of brightness of heart is, uh, and that is wholesome qualities are one thing. But if it's not accompanied by by um, wisdom, and as he's is using the the term skillfulness, um, kusala, uh, what is wholesome, what is skillful, um, as a representation of that, I'm, uh, I'm imagining he's using the word kusala. That's usually what uh, is rendered as skillfulness or wholesomeness, and that. Um, that is you know the 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 quality of discernment or discrimination that uh, sort of knowing when to pick things up when when to put things down also that, that there can be uh, one can create the, uh, a lot of uh, of good karma uh, but there can still be that uh, attitude of i making and mind making involved in that you know i am practicing meditation i am cultivating generosity i am helping others uh, i am practicing loving kindness that I am can be quite potent, it can be in there in the background, maybe the mind isn't spelling it out in those, uh, in such a clear way, but there can be that very distinct sense of I and me and mine involved, in even in wholesome activity. So um, when Lung Chai is this image of carrying something and not being able to put it down, it's like that sense of I'm practicing, I'm making progress, uh, I am cultivating these wholesome qualities, I am making good karma, I am getting somewhere. You know. um, so even though wholesomeness is, is being uh, uh, cultivated and generated, that the, the fundamental basic unwholesomeness of I and me and mine is sort of sneaking into the picture and, and affecting that whole process. So that's why things get, get heavy <laughs> and uh, become burdensome. We learn to let go. Because holding on to things leads only to suffering. Dukkha, the pervasive unsatisfactoriness of life, quote-unquote, is not the way it has to be. But do you know the causes? Suffering is in the present. We don't have to look to the past. Dharmas all come from a cause. They don't just mysteriously float up into existence. Nothing in this world can make people suffer but a lack of knowledge. Is a boulder heavy? If we just walk by it, where's the heaviness? But if we try to lift it, that's another story. So he's covering quite a few points in a very short, <laughs> very short span of time here. And as those of, uh, those of you, uh, those of us who've been partaking of these readings will realize that Lumpur Chah tends to teach in a, a very unstructured way. Well, it's structured according to his own intuition. And uh, he'll uh, move between different themes or go back and forth between different themes very easily, very comfortably within his own flow, but it's not a kind of point by point systematic uh, teaching. But so, in this particular couple of sentences, he covers a lot, um, I would say. Uh, <clears throat> so, first of all, dukkha is not the way it has to be. So, his uh, uh, he's saying your dukkha isn't an absolute reality. It's not there all the time. We don't, we don't. Uh, even though dukkha might be known as the pervasive unsatisfactoriness of life, uh, it doesn't. Uh, it's not there all the time. It has causes. If it's not caused, then it, uh, dukkha doesn't arise. So, uh, the uh, then he goes on to say, suffering is in the present. We don't have to look to the past. dharmas all come from a cause. So you might not be able to know what the cause of this particular dukkha is, but you know. It hasn't just come on its own there there is some kind of clinging, some kind of attachment, some sort of identification that has happened. It might be obvious what the cause is, but it might be that it's it's you know, uh, invisible or, or lost and, and not apparent um, but you can know this has come from a cause this is um, this is originated. They don't just mysteriously float up into existence. nothing in this world. Can make people suffer, but a lack of knowledge. So you could probably spend a week just on that sentence. <laughs> I would say nothing in this world can make people suffer, but a lack of knowledge. So that, and that knowledge meaning not not information about things, but that uh, knowledge as in knowing the the reality of the the present uh, the present moment the present experience. That lack of awareness. Um, <clears throat> That's what makes uh, us suffer. and then Nothing in this world can make people suffer but a lack of knowledge. If there is knowledge, if there is that clear awakened awareness, that clear knowing in the present, then there isn't any dukkha. There might be physical discomfort or hunger or, or cold, uh, but the mind is not going to create uh, resentment or anguish or, or agitation. It's not going to create suffering around that uncom- those uncomfortable qualities. So and it's quite a bold statement nothing in this world can make people suffer but a lack of knowledge and and, and that's i would say also something that's coming directly from his own wisdom his own heart so that's that's why we suffer it's because we're not aware if there's awareness then there isn't any dukkha it does the 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 um, there there might have been attachments in the past but then the the recognition of this is the ripening of an attachment that was caused in the past here it is it's just this nothing more than nothing more than this particular set of perceptions that's all full stop there's no uh, confusion or, or creation around that then he goes on as an example is a boulder heavy if we just walk by it where's the heaviness but if we try to lift it that's another story so if we then take that, think that what's been caused, some kind of dukkha that's been caused in the past and say, oh, this is my problem, what am I going to do about this? I've got to solve this. Uh, uh, why Why is that person upset with me? How can? What can I do to make them happy? Uh, I want to be a better person and all, all those many and various things. The mind is then picking up the boulder and then there's the experience of heaviness. And so uh, this is a, a, um, a very significant teaching for myself, and I've often quoted, not exactly this passage, but a, another dialogue where, um, one time a visitor had, uh, had come to visit, uh, come to see Wat Bapong, Ajahn Chah's monastery, and for the first time, and, uh, had gone for a, a bit of a, a walk through the, the monastery grounds, and, and, uh, they, when they came back and they met Lumpur in front of the, the oppositor hall, uh, and he uh, said, "Oh yeah, know, is uh, is amazing. This, this is such a huge place. You have uh, so many disciples. All these uh, you got. You got you know 50, uh, 50 nuns in the in the nuns section, and you know forty or fifty monks in the monks section. You have all these coachloads of lay people coming to visit. And you got twenty or thirty branch monasteries. And and then then you, you just built this this uh, this uh, uh, oppositor hall, this big temple, yeah." You know. Yeah, there's so much going on, it's so busy it must be very stressful, it must be very burdensome for you and then outside the front of the the, the temple the Wapapong temple building there was a number of old Sima stones the boundary stones from, from ancient um, other monasteries and different places people had donated um, when they knew Lumpur was building a temple or at different times people had given these these very old carved stones from, from different places around uh, the northeast. Um, I'm not sure where they all came from, but they were sort of planted in a kind of decorative pattern in front of the temple. And uh, Lumpur pointed over to these sema stones and said, "Yeah, uh, are those stones big? And the person said, yeah, that's huge, that, that that tall one, that's like you know a meter and a half tall, it's, it's really, it's really a big, uh, it's a big stone. So, do you think it's heavy? He said, "Oh, well, yeah, it's huge. That would know, that'll that'll weigh a lot. That will be really heavy. And he said, not if you don't pick it up. So, when I was invited to take over as abbot of Amravati, <laughs> I, I took that particular teaching to, to heart and that uh, coming to this place is a lot bigger than the Bhagiri. Well, acreage-wise, a Bhagiri is bigger, but in terms of people and activities and so on, Amravati is a lot bigger and a lot more complicated. So uh, personally I took that specific teaching and and uh, applied that a lot and have done uh, over time that uh, if you pick it up and carry it around it's heavy, if you don't pick it up and carry it around it's not heavy. And so that um, watching those tendencies to, to pick things up, carry them around and then feeling the burdenness, the burdensomeness of that is um, a very very helpful principle, and so when people ask about practicing in lay life and having responsibilities in the working world or in the family and, and uh, in the, the social uh, arena and so on and so forth, this is regularly a, a teaching that, that I give, and so not, um, not picking it up doesn't mean avoiding responsibilities, but it means not, uh, not grasping, or not, not identifying, not, uh, not personal, personalizing uh, everything. So, any thoughts, reflections, questions? Yes. Um, I'm somewhat
1: very clear on how accumulating merit and the way are of comparable value because I'm actually more confused. If a moment of insight into a nature, real insight is much more valuable than that thousands of things. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, giving things is much easier to do than waking up. Um, to uh, and so that that um, not uh, not not to belittle that, yes, you know, it's, it's very. Um, <laughs> has a uh, has an overhead of over a thousand pounds a day, so we're appreciative of the uh, the material offerings that people make to keep the keep the lights on and the and the buildings warm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the fact that is that it's it's easier to make material offerings, it's easier to cultivate loving kindness than it is to genuinely see the, the truth of a Nietzsche. And so uh, uh, I feel that it's a very significant teaching, um, because, uh, also because um, it's not just valuable to the individual, but it's also... Valuable to all those beings who that individual's life touches. If you follow that, so like uh, there's the in the Sangyuta Nikaya, there's a, um, um, uh, a, a a whole section. Of th- this, this chapter thirteen of the Connected Discourses called the Abhisamaya Sangyuta, the Connected Discourses on the Breakthrough, and then the the Buddha. Um, uh, enumerates There's a whole series of uh, very very similar dhamma talks, and the first one is called the fingernail. And uh, he he reaches down to the ground and scratches the ground and says, you know, "What do you think? What is greater in quantity, the the amount of of uh, earth under my fingernail, or the or the great earth itself?" Well, venerable sir, you know, the amount of dirt under your fingernail is very small. The great earth itself is very very large." And he says, "So that the suffering." The one who has made the breakthrough to stream entry, which is the, that genuine insight into Anicca, is is, a sort of a, is a, um, uh, another way of talking about stream entry. The one who has made the breakthrough to, to the realization of stream entry, the amount of suffering they can expect to experience is comparable to the, the dirt under my fingernail. The suffering that one who has not made the breakthrough can expect to experience is comparable to the great earth. And then each suitor then has a different kind of comparison. You know, what is greater? You have five grains of sand or the Himalayan mountain range? Or very you know, Five grains of sand is very small. And the Himalayas are very large. And he makes the same kind of comparison. And so that that um, that, uh, that genuine insight into anicca, even though it's um, doesn't have to be very long, if it's if it's a genuine seeing of anicca, then that changes the the perspective. In a radical way, I would say, and that the um, uh, the effect that that has on the individual on their own suffering, and then also the 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 value system that they then uh, naturally adopt in relationship to all other beings, in order to the, the the world around them, the family, the work they do, and so on and so forth. All that is influenced by that insight. So there, there's a lot of so the the insight itself, it might be uh, small in some respects, but it has a a huge knock-on set of knock-on effects.
1: I completely agree with that, but I'm not sure I understand how that's supportive of the initial statement, and maybe I misunderstood it, but, you know, it's sort of that merit is not let's say child's pay or a lesser version, and actually it's equally um, valuable as, say, you know, maybe towards awakening but again those examples you're giving for me they're very much pointing to it's nice to be meritorious deeds but actually the most meritorious deed you can do is it starts with you and working towards awakening which is a much maybe heavier lift so Mm -hmm. I'm misunderstanding something um, in terms of why how merit accumulating merit is as valuable as working towards awakening or Actually, is it correct
0: to say that actually developing merit includes moving towards enlightenment? Uh, well, it's uh, uh, the effect of wholesomeness is that it clarifies the mind, and it makes uh, it it makes relationships uncomplicated. Uh, it make, it brings life much greater simplicity, much greater ease, much greater brightness, so that. Uh, uh, the the uh, the more that we act in a way that's, that's unwholesome, unskillful then the more agitation we create, the more alienation, the the more um, complication is created. And this is a frequent theme of Lung Po Chan's teaching. He said, "You know, good isn't good; isn't absolutely good in and of itself, but it creates the the the, the basis whereby the the, the 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 genuine goodness of of liberation can be more easily recognized or realized so it's creating an environment that um, supports that quality of awakening so that it's um, it's not an end in itself and again Lumpucha would make that so just doing good things doing good deeds and cultivating wholesomeness it's like building a nice house uh, uh, keeping it uh, keeping everything clean and tidy and then never actually using it. <laughs> it's like you're, you're creating the conditions, you're setting up a the, 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 the very helpful um, um, useful environment but you're not, you're not putting it to work in the best way possible. And so that um, goodness is not good, it, uh, so in and of itself, but uh, when we act in a way that's honest and kind then we have no regrets. We have a natural quality of self-respect. Uh, people, we, when, when we walk into a room, we're not getting into you know, arguments or conflicts. We're at ease with, with uh, whether there's people there or there's no people there. We're, we're, we're content. We're at ease. So that those uh, good wholesomeness in that way is supportive of uh, emotional simplicity, straightforwardness, uh, qualities of ease and, and focus. So that when uh, in that, that discourse called the liberation is a natural process, then the Buddha says you know what well, uh, that uh, in that particular one it starts off with Sila, But there, there's uh, uh, it says that you know, if you if you are keeping this, the precepts, you live in a skillful way. Then there's no then there's no need to think. May my heart be free of regret, because for one who keeps the precepts, then it's natural that they're they're free of remorse, free of regret. And then one who is free of remorse, there's no need for them to think. May I, may I be at ease and relaxed? Because physically and mentally they'll be relaxed and at ease because of, uh, as a result of, of being free from remorse. And then it goes on to say, in one who is uh, who is uh, relaxed and at ease, there's no, there's no need for them to think. May, may there be sukha, May there be profound contentment, happiness? Because it's natural for one who's physically relaxed and at ease for, for sukha to arise and one in whom there is sukha there's no need for them to think may concentration arise because it's natural for one who is experiencing sukha for, for the mind to be concentrated and the mind uh, and as one for one whose mind is is concentrated there's no need for them to think may insight arise may knowledge and vision of the way things are arise because it's natural for one whose mind is concentrated for knowledge and vision to arise so it's a uh, in, in a sense uh, generosity honesty they're creating the the environment whereby those other wholesome qualities can easily flourish and, and grow and uh and so that it's a um uh, that's how they they fit together and so lumpo cha would often um be trying to encourage people not just to spend the the time cultivating the wholesome but to you know and they're beautiful spaces to, to to live in, but putting those spaces to work and uh, making use of the uh, the environment that is uh, the natural result of living in a skillful way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They do, yes. Yeah. yeah. So you know the um, uh, the uh, the, uh, and similarly, you know, sometimes you're saying that. Living in an unwholesome way—it's a uh, living in a way that you know, selfish and greedy and violent and, and dishonest. So it's not something that is sort of intrinsically, um, uh, you know, that it's not it's not something that's absolutely evil. But you're just making life more complicated for yourself and more more complicated for others. And, and you know, the Buddha made exactly the same point. If you if you live in an unskillful way, if you're selfish and cruel and greedy, then you'll be disrespected by the wise, you'll sleep badly at night, you'll have a lot of regrets, <laughs> you know, and you, you'll feel you know, uh, you know, agitated uh, within yourself. And so, you know, uh, you know w- whether there is a, a life after this one or not, you're making an, un- an unpleasant abiding for yourself here and now, you know, you're know, you creating the causes, like uh, leaving your living place in a total mess, or just going kind of... Starting a fire in the corner of the room and filling the place with smoke. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you can do that, but it's just making confusion and difficulty and a mess for yourself. Well,
1: there's also complicated by the fact that someone can be acting in a wholesome way, but they've got bad karma (laughs) that they can't, they've just got to burn through, right? So sometimes it's, um, yeah, someone can be a bit
0: unlucky. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, that's, that's the case, and so that. If there has been a lot of bad karma created in the past, then the effects of that are going to be, they're going to appear when we're in a mild or an, a, an extreme form, some form or another. You can't undo past causes, but as they as those causes ripen, then they're going to have a particular uh, particular effect. Like, so, um, so like for for you know, again using Ajahn Chah as an example um um one of the uh, when he he was paralyzed the last ten years of his life and he couldn't speak and um uh, and so he had, and he was only uh, he was uh, sixty he was sixty four when he was uh, hit by that stroke and all the brain damage and uh, and so the last ten years of his life until he was seventy four he was unable to, to speak or move or anything. And it was, it was interesting that two independent people who uh, had s- certain amounts of psychic abilities, they both said the same thing, which was, in a previous lifetime, Lumpur Chah had been a general in the Thai army, a particular general, who was uh, uh, very successful in the, in, when Thailand was warring with Laos. And they both had said, in the previous lifetime, he'd been that general, and the the difficult the physical difficulties he was experiencing now at the end of this life um, was a, a lot of, to do with the vipaka karma the resultant karma of being a military leader and being responsible for the destruction that goes on in a in a war and um, apparently they hadn't spoken with each other and there was no no collaboration <laughs> <laughs> apparently uh, allegedly there was no collaboration they both said exactly the same thing so people. When one person said it, they thought, "Okay, you know, it's a story." Then somebody else said, "Oh, okay." of you know, more people sat up and took notice. Whether it's actually true or not, I, it's impossible to say. But so, someone who had an incredibly virtuous life um, this lifetime and uh, lived very, very skillfully, uh, the the results of past courses are still going to play themselves out in some kind of a way. Yeah. You had a question
2: could you talk a little bit more about uh, the not pick up scenes
0: <laughs> That's why we live here <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well that's I, I'm kind of joking not, I'm kind of not joking. that's why we live here short- term, long term because the habit is picking things up as a, in coming into the human world and then society encourages us to... Get excited about things. Get well, get uh, irritated by things. Have an opinion about things. That's what life is uh, and uh, involves uh, in so many ways. And so that that um, learning to um, engage with the world and to um, carry out you know, useful work in your in your family life, in the in the workplace, in the in the society, but without attachment without without grasping without creating self view around that that's that's a, a, a lot of work <laughs> uh, but that's part of the, one of the the blessing of living in a monastery also i think uh, one of the key uh, aspects of Lumpo Cha's style of teaching was that he um, rather than just focusing on formal practice he really encouraged people to work together whether they're monastics or lay people engaging in physical uh, physical tasks together, looking after the living uh, the living environment and the, um, the the fabric of the monastery, um, so that you learn to work with other people. You learn to carry out tasks. You actually learn to do stuff in the physical world um, that uh, where you are personally engaged. You're making decisions. You're 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 following guidance or you're giving guidance, and learning to do all of that without a lot of self-view. So it's, it's a kind of um, training program that uh, he uh, he established um, uh, so that you're um, learning those skills. And the way we learn is, like any kind of skill, is you get it wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> you get self-critical, you get inflated, or you get competitive, or you get contentious in in the way you pick up. The work that you do or you're working with your your mind or your body and uh but then over and over again seeing oh this is the effect of having picked up <clears> this mind state or this this responsibility this relationship and my mind is grasping it and so you know that one person that you've had an argument with that's everybody else in the monastery has just vanished there's that one <laughs> 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 Everyone, i'm not reading your mind you know, but uh, yeah these things easily happen you know you have a, a, a bit of a, a clash with someone and everybody else just disappears into a cloud and there's this <laughs> that one person I've got to work this thing out with or you know, they should be different and so seeing how we lose it and feeling what that's like when the mind picks something up just feeling the weight like well this is, this is heavy <laughs> and then uh, Uh, As I've been saying a few times, then just not creating a lot of self-criticism, or I'm really stupid, I'm a terrible person, or why am I carrying this around? Just let that weight be felt. Like this is heavy to carry around. (laughs) This is (sighs) this is exhausting. And then the letting go comes from a, a natural place, rather than I should let go. I've got to put this down. You know, then I'll be getting it right. But rather just. Uh, uh, the letting go is a a natural uh, response coming from wisdom rather than from any kind of self-view. And then just repeat, 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 repeat. (laughs) Yes. Vrachaya. Question about the Sutta.
1: You mentioned the spring entry. And in the Sutta I came across, among many, but uh, when people ask Buddha that this person, such-and-such, such, died where they were reborn, that like a he gave and then when he died, Buddha said that he reborn again as a celestial being, mm-hmm. so he became God, but I haven't come across anybody, lay like like person who died, Buddha said that they don't come back, they are gone. Have you come across anywhere the Buddha, the like lay person? Can attain enlightenment, or do we all have to take, <laughs> <laughs>
0: have to take You don't have to. Good question. You're not the first person to ask this. Um, there's a, a particular sutta where the Buddha is giving advice to his relative Mahanama, who was the ruler of the Sakyans. And uh, Mahanama has come to the Buddha and said, you know, as the the, the ruler, I, uh, from time to time, I get invited to the bedside of people when they're dying to, to give comfort or to give blessing and so on. And I'm not sure what to say or what, how to how to handle that. What kind of advice should I give to somebody on their deathbed? And then, uh, so the Buddha then gives Mahanama this um, this a series of, of, uh, uh, sort of pieces of advice. He said, "Well, first of all, uh, you should ask them." Are you worried about your your, uh, your 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 property and your your family? And if they say uh, yes, I'm I'm still worried about my property and my family. Then you should say to them, um, if, uh, whether whether you worry about your property and your family or whether you don't worry about them, you're going to die anyway. So better that you don't worry about your property and your family. you. Know, uh, uh, you know, are you worried about your business and your uh, your 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 finances and how that will, uh, uh, you know, how things are, are, ta- are have taken shape in that area? If they say yes, I'm worried about my business and my 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 work. This, well, whether you worry about it or not, you're going to die anyway. So better that you don't worry about all of that. So letting go of worldly concerns is a bit of a blunt advice. <laughs> not very cuddly but uh, is, uh, that's the kind of um, straightforward advice he's giving. Then he says, goes on to say, so um, if they have resolved to let go of all of their worldly concerns, then they should be encouraged to, to resolve their mind on reappearing. say, is, is your mind resolved on reappearing in a heavenly realm? If they say, yes, I wish to be reborn in the heaven of the four great uh, Lokapalas, the four great kings. Uh, so well why why settle for being reborn in the heaven of the Chatu Maharajikas? Why not aim for the Tavatinsa heaven? And then why not why aim for the Tavatinsa heaven? Why not aim for being reborn amongst the Yama Devas and Tusita Devas and all the way up to the Brahma Lokas? And then finally says so, so then finally if they say yes, your mind is resolved on being reborn in the Brahma realm, say, Well, why settle for being reborn in the Brahma realm? It would be much better for you to uh, to resolve your mind on Sakaya niroda which means the uh, the cessation of identity and then the then the Buddha says so a layperson who uh, focus, who centers their mind upon Sakaya niroda, there's no difference in their state of liberation between that layperson and uh, a monk who's been an arahant for a hundred years so that's a <coughs> It's in the, um, I think the sort of part, the, the uh, connected discourses about stream entry, uh, Sutta number 54, section, chapter 55, Sutta number 54, if I remember correctly. So um, there's not many references. I, I, my feeling is that there might have, once upon a time, been more instances where lay people became arahants, um you have Yasa, who was still kind of half drunk from a party, who became an arahant um, when uh, uh, when he met the the uh, very early on in, the, in the, the Buddha's teaching career. So Yasa was still had his party gear on, and he became an arahant. So um, he became a monk shortly after, but he was still he was still like in his party clothes when he became an arahant, with uh, um, and still kind of not totally sober, uh, <laughs> which is interesting in its own right. But I, my suspicion, and this might sound a little bit heretical, is that I suspect there's more instances of lay people becoming arahants and they got edited out uh, over, the, over the years to em- make more emphasis on the uh, monastic path. That might be heretical. I don't have a lot of evidence for it. But I do a lot of editing. And when you, when you edit, you can sometimes notice when something's been taken out. There's like a kind of suspicious absences. Like, hmm. Hmm. This, it feels like some the red pen's being applied here. <laughs> so I don't have any firm evidence, I'm sure. That, uh, but you, you do find that in, in scriptures. It's like in the Christian scriptures. Rebirth was part of the Christian doctrine up to a certain point. It was actually ruled out by the Council of Nicaea in the 5th century. They actually literally sat down and said... Um, well, let's take out this doctrine of rebirth because if uh, people think they only, they, they've they only got one life to live, then they'll try that much harder because they've got to get it right in this one shot to go to heaven. So they literally had a kind of uh, Sangha meeting and decided let's just take rebirth out of the, out of the doctrine. And the, But you do find a couple of places in the Bible where it's sli- it sort of snuck through, the editors missed it, where... Somewhere when Jesus is asked about somebody who's born blind, they say, uh, "Is or is it uh, uh, is the cause of their of their blindness from this life, or is it from something that they did before?" Before. <laughs> hmm. So that the there's a, there's a couple of things like that the editors missed, and uh, and the, the uh, there's certain uh, parts of the party canon where you think. Hang on a minute. There's this uh, that that same kind of feeling is there. But so anyway, that's one particular instance. And then Yasa, as a young man who has uh, um, been sort of uh, uh, horrified by the state of people, uh, uh, his friends and the other party goers, he's suddenly stricken with with disgust in the middle of the party and goes off and finds the Buddha meditating in the in the park nearby and. And becomes an arahant. he's still just—he literally just walked out of the party. It's the middle of the night, and he's still got his party gear on and his kind of and his uh, decorated slippers. Oh, Bahiya, hmm? bahia? Uh, yeah. Well, he was a yogi. I mean, he was a—he wasn't a, a big a kind of a. Um, uh, technically, he wasn't a, Buddha, a disciple of the Buddha, but um, he was—he uh, was a, a sanyasi and wanderer there's a there's a few Jan, i was wondering about the sutta you mentioned just earlier about where you start to seal it and it leads on mm-hmm. and it seems
2: to imply that just by practicing the sealer wholeheartedly, heartedly you could just lead directly
0: to the inside because one thing follows mm-hmm. from the other naturally yeah so is that do you think that that's something that 'Cause
2: it's instead of having trying so hard to get the end insight, you could just through the practising seela, and and then your mind becoming more peaceful, it
0: naturally would lead on to insight. It, it creates the conditions, but like Lumpur Chara is saying in this in this teaching, then the the active application of wisdom is so helps things along. Because you just just through keeping this so quote just through keeping the seela like uh, and the um that can have a, a very liberating effect just through the process of keeping the seal but it can take a long time but the active application of wisdom and wise reflection then that, that sort of lubricates that the, the system su- the seems to imply that the one leads directly to the mm-hmm. next one which leads to the it one. does yeah. so it could, could fl- flow in itself in a way without you directly having to try and generate a particular Insights, so yeah, intention without intentions, yeah. That's 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 the theme of the sutta. Is there's no need for the, there's no need to think. May I give rise to such and such because it's natural that this this will arise on its own. So it's uh, it is saying exactly that. But um, uh, so that uh, and and I, I uh, and I also I think there's 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 uh, one or two Dhamma talks where Thupten makes that comment where he says. You know, just just by keeping the precepts for, for in, a, in a sincere way, that's that you know, it's guaranteed to to lead to stream entry sooner or later. That you know, that that will create the conditions whereby that 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 will come about. You know, if you keep the precepts in a sincere and complete way, that's that's the natural result of it. But uh, you know, the uh, the development of wise reflection and wisdom is obviously helps. It yeah. lubricates the system. <laughs> But uh, no, I think it's, it's a good point, and it's also um, how virtue uh, is, uh, is really the foundation. That's why iconographically, you often have a, like a with a Buddha image, sitting on a lotus flower, the, 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 that's representing that the wisdom is based upon virtue. Now the image of, the, of the, the Buddha sitting on a lotus flower, the, the main Buddha image in the, in the shrine Many, many Buddha images. So that there's—that's the, the foundation or the basis. And, and without that, then you know, that, uh, you know, the conditions for for genuine wisdom arising is, is are, are very much uh, obst- uh, obstructed or hindered. It's unlikely that wisdom can really arise. Three. Um, <laughs>
1: just a follow-up question about the drunk man.
0: Um, yes. you just
1: <laughs> which he need a moment, an instant of? you know the sealer and all these factors coming together because technically he was drunk an hour earlier right so he wasn't really following the precepts that strictly mm-hmm. so if he could become an arahant that rapidly is it all well, that's needed an instant can, can it happen in
0: that way uh if the conditions are right yeah there's um there's a um also there's uh, in this in the same sotapati sangyuta. Sarakani who took to drink that when when he this this sort of notorious drunk in in Kapilavattu called Sarakani when he dies The Buddha said he oh, was he was a, a sotapanna." Then so, modest people spread it about how can this be that Saru, the, the blessed one has said that Sarakani was a was a stream enter Anyone can become a stream enterer nowadays, you know, <laughs> like Sarakani who took to drink so it's and then the so It's a very interesting sutta because he's like a notorious drunk around around town. But when he passed away, then the, the Buddha said, "Yeah, he, uh, that uh, he he was a stream enterer." And they think, "Wow, how could this be?" And the, the Buddha said, "Yes, yeah, you know, he he was a, a drinker, but he also had uh, a, a foundation of, of profound faith in the triple gem. Yeah, he was a drinker, um, but he said he fulfilled the training at the time of his death." You can look at the sutta. I'm not sure which number it is, but it's Sarakani who took to drink is the title of the sutta. And also there's another, uh, a, um, I think it's a story in the Dhammapada commentary rather than a, um, a canonical story where uh, it was one of those instances where the Buddha smiles um, and uh, they're out on arms round and Ananda sees the Buddha smiling and there's a whole kind of parade going by, and and then they says, "Hmm, it's not without cause that the blessed one smiles. What is the what is the reason? What's the what's the, the, uh, the situation where the, the the Buddha is smiling?" And there's this whole big parade going by, and this um, the chief minister is riding on the back of this elephant, and he's been drinking for seven days. He's just been, I think he uh, he'd been out on some military campaign, and he'd won a, a big uh, big battle. So the king had rewarded him and said, you know, you can have total license for the, for a whole week. Whatever you like, it's all yours. Whatever you want to do. And so the um, uh, the, the, the Buddha sees him sitting on the back of his elephant, kind of, completely gaga, um, mm. as they're making the parade. And Ananda sees the Buddha smiling. Hmm. And then the, 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 he asks, Venerable Sir, what, what's the reason? What's the cause why the Blessed One is smiling? He said, you know, uh, in a few days' time, he will be an Arahant. <laughs> 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 and i said, well, well, sir, this is very hard to believe. Wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hmm? It would be helpful
1: to not know
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> so not to, I'm not encouraging licentious <laughs> dr- drinking. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, there used to be a pub down in the village that was a, a cause of temptation for a number of the residents there. The, uh, but uh yeah it's uh there have to, there has to be the the barometers the, the sort of supportive conditions that have to be in place that uh, it's not just random um <clears throat> like uh, an- another place for Ajahn chars uh one of the the little quotations um uh, that he made was um he said you know the uh the the Buddha sat down under the Bodhi tree and said, "I'm not going to move from this spot until full and complete and the enlightenment uh, is attained." It's, you know, if you try that, you're you're just going to make yourself confused and uh, and uh, and uh, make more dukkha for yourself. You know, the Buddha had a really big car. Your car is only very small. So <laughs> the, the, the Buddha the Buddha had a really big vehicle, so that he could sit down under the tree, and all the conditions were there. So. With only a little dinky vehicle like you've got, you're just going to make trouble and confusion for yourself. So the the conditions have to be there. Like that minister, I forget his name. Jim um, The the um, that uh, uh, the minister who was um, who was uh, partying for a week, uh, he had created a lot of good karma previously, and so that. Uh, it was. Um, uh, I think what happened was that uh, he was the party was continuing, and um, one of the dancing girls just collapsed and died on the floor in front of him, and he was he was kind of entranced by the the dancing girl. So they poop, she's dead, in front of him, and that that's right. and that just hit him in a in a way. I think that's the story, and that just hit him in a way that uh, he was completely. Unprepared for, and that, uh, oh, even in the midst of all of this, this kind of luxury and partying, then boom, you know, the the death is is always here, and someone who's so alive and cheerful, then suddenly they're gone. And that just um, was an extraordinarily powerful insight, and then he immediately sobered up (laughs) Uh, and uh, and then uh, became an arahant. Yes.
2: My friend had an insight at the weekend on Arjun Char and I thought I just he asked what I thought Arjun Char and the forest monks were like, and were they like soft and sweet? I said more feisty like a Zen person really, you know, and, um, but on the inside, kind of different. I said Arjun char must have had a special quality and he said what was that? And I said well he could do a Dharma talk if somebody had a gun in their pocket and he taught Farangs and set up Farangs to practice and he set a vehicle up for women to be able to practice. Before I could say anything my mate he's not the most educated person in the world Mm. jumped in and went Ned! Ned! He can't choose whose suffering he stops. If he does that he creates suffering. And I thought that kind of typified Arjun Shah for me that you could see anybody in front of him Mm -hmm. and he would just see the suffering not the
0: person Absolutely That
2: kind of thing you know Quality.
0: So it was really played like might that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's very accurate. Uh, yeah, he he uh, he would always uh, again. I couldn't speak Thai, but uh, uh, and uh, it was tricky, tricky to follow along with things a lot of the time. But he would he would speak to where people were coming from, irrespective of their social status, or uh, he, he would like sometimes completely seemed to miss what they were saying, and he would just in a sense go straight to where they were where where they were speaking from and address that um and in an extraordinary way so that he wasn't um uh, he he uh he was uh, he wasn't taken in by any kind of superficiality whatsoever he would always feel that sense of where where people were at where they were coming from where, what they were attached to and and um and that's where his his uh, attention would go and he would speak to that mm-hmm. and and uh without distinction whether someone was the the um uh you know the, uh, a, uh, you know senior uh, high ranking monk or the head of the local province or a hitman who's been hired to shoot him you know didn't really matter. It was the the uh he was completely you know even in that respect.
2: It seems to be with all the great monks, if You look at Ma Bua or, 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 or the the Zokchen teacher, they just nothing seems to please them anymore, they're just there, aren't
0: they? Hmm. Yeah, they 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 um uh when the, when somebody once said, yeah, they think, yeah, uh, they think uh, if a bomb went off uh, around Ajahn Chah, he, he really wouldn't be bothered. You know, he, he'd notice something just happened. The <laughs> bomb went off, but it, 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 wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't throw him off balance.
2: Somebody did that with Mahaprasamanda, he was going to do the peace war, and they rolled a grenade at him, and it didn't go off, and he never moved. And they said well we've got to stop the walk and he said the Buddha wouldn't have stopped <coughs> he just went off and walked you know to the, to the minefields no ego, you know I no, can see just these people
0: just they, they've got something different haven't they yeah yeah Ajahn Ganha one of his uh uh he's a, like a relative a second cousin or a great nephew of Lumpur Chah, um during the, he was on Tudong during the uh, the era of a lot of communist insurgency, and uh, he literally walked through a minefield, and, uh, found, and into this particular part of the forest, and these these uh, communist guerrillas were like all kind of had him at gunpoint, saying, you, know, "You must be a spy." You know, how did you find your way through the minefield? And he said, "Minefield," <laughs> <laughs> and so they just couldn't believe that he hadn't somehow figured out where all the mines were. But, uh, he just, he just literally walked through a minefield, and he ended up. They were so impressed with him; they they persuaded him to stay, and he became their kind of teacher. Even though they were sort of, uh, you know, weapon-bearing communists, guerrillas, they, they they he was their Ajahn you know. and so he, he said, I think he spent quite a bit of time with them. Anyway, seven o'clock has come around, so um, let's uh, let's leave it there for today.